Hey you guys, it is Kokomoko and today's podcast is a special one. It is our first ever guest interview, which is something that I've always wanted to take this podcast in that direction. So this is a huge milestone for us. We are going to be talking to Creep Time on TikTok. He has 1.6 million followers, also known as Silas Dean, and his videos are the ones that pop up in the middle of the night when you're already scared but you feel this weird comfort seeing a familiar face and a creator that you trust telling the spookiest stories. Now, he's also one of my first ever internet friends who has really showed me the ropes in a lot of ways on podcasting, and I've also met in person. So go and show him some support and love. He's honestly a genius when it comes to marketing as well. And we talk about everything from working full-time while having a big audience growing a big TikTok account, which is something that both of us relate to. And we also go into like the future of spooky content and true crime and where that's going and what his kind of rule of thumb and ethics are in reporting on those things. So with all that being said, I really do hope that you guys enjoy this episode. As always, if you give it a rating, it helps me so much and will one day be able to do this podcast full time which is always the dream ratings in podcasting is like your currency and those of you guys that have given me ratings already have helped me so much and I really I really appreciate it so with that being said we're just going to dive right on in will you tell them who you are I know for me I think of you as like your videos are the ones that come up like it late at night when the algorithm just knows that you're spooked already. Yeah. Um, but I would love to just know more about like, if you can tell them who you are in your content. Well, hi everybody. I'm Silas Dean. Um, I'm a content creator on TikTok, and I specialize in, what do I usually say? All of uh, the chilling, mysterious and unexplained is how I would describe mm-hmm. it. So most of my videos kind of oscillate between true crime, uh, creepy pastas, and occasionally me drinking Starbucks. <laughs> I've That's seen the, those. The perfect I, round, yeah. yeah. So I know that you do a lot of like spooky things. I wanted to ask if I feel like anyone who gets into this topic, it's and I'm into it as a viewer consumer, but like there has to have been something paranormal that happened to you like growing up or something. And I did a deep dive, so apologies if you've gone on t- into this very detailed. But I would love for you oh, to tell the good. audience, like. <laughs> Is there anything that happened to you that made you really interested in this spooky stuff? Yeah, I have talked about this before. I feel like I've always been a kid who was interested in this genre. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of kids who are like that. I don't know if they're just, we're born spooky children or like something happens to us, but I, I grew up on a lot of horror movies and then specifically about a paranormal experience. There's one that I've talked about before with my audience when I was really little, Mm -hmm. I was like five and I don't know if I've ever actually shared this one on TikTok, so this might just be like exclusive to exclusive. your podcast. But I was like five years old, and I remember my mom took me into a church, and we like, you know, like Catholicism, you go to the back of a church yeah. and you light a candle for someone who's deceased. Yeah. So we went in to do that for like a distant family member who had passed, and I it was an empty church. I remember it so vividly. And while she lit the candle, I turned around and I looked down the center aisle of the church. And I visibly saw some somebody, like a dark, shadowy figure, walking uh, through the aisles, like through the, the pews. And I remember that I, it looked so real that I shouted out and I screamed, hi. 
And I remember because my mom was like, shh, you don't do that in a church. She's like, you don't scream at a church. And I was like, but there's a lady. There's a lady. And I'm pointing to her and I look back and she's gone. Oh my God. So that, that's the earliest memory I think I have of a paranormal incident. Yeah. Wow. If that's what we can call that. Yeah, I I guess so. I, did it feel like a negative energy or like a safe energy? I don't remember ever feeling scared. I think I was confused. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, I wasn't really sure if I... And what's funny is I went back to home and I told my dad about it. And he was like, can you do me something? He was like, can you go in the other room and draw what you saw? He yeah. was like, I want to draw what I saw. Cause he, and we came back and I didn't know what he was talking about. And we compared our pictures and they were almost the exact same, like the exact same Whoa. woman. She had a veil on her head. And he said, when I was a kid, I saw something in a church that I couldn't explain. And I've never told anybody that. And then it was just the, I couldn't understand it as a kid, but like comparing those pictures, I wish I still had them. Oh my God. Yes. It's such a good story. You, what a foreshadow. Cause you focus on like creepy pictures now. I know. Um, and sometimes they're <laughs> sketches or. Um, that's fascinating. The reason, I mean, maybe there's like some, you know, generational figure that's like trying to reach out to you guys or I don't know. That's just really interesting if you believe in that like yeah. stuff. But, um, my, my followers are like probably just so used to me talking about like analytics and stuff. I've never like shown <laughs> this side of myself, but I'm so interested in these things. So, um, I had like some creepy things growing up too, but, I. In my house, there was like someone who would always call 911 when we weren't home and we didn't have a home phone or we didn't know what was going on. I mean, the police had like searched our house when we weren't there. I just got like, full body chills just from you yeah. telling me that alone. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's what got me into this kind of content was back then. And then there, but there was a distinction between the two energies that were, we would feel. And one of them was like really dark and I would have friends crying and want to leave and go home. I mean, even like the the senior high school jocks that came over once were like, we got to get out of here. And then there was also this like safe energy that weirdly fixated on my little sister when she was a little kid, like everything would happen around her. And then it just kind of all stopped oh one day. So, yeah. So I'm always interested in that. And I always, whenever people have like paranormal stories, I'm like, was it a bad energy or good? Cause I sometimes yeah. believe you can like feel the difference or, you know, you would know if it was a scary one. So I never knew this side of you. I had no idea you had paranormal experiences. Right? Yeah. I, I've never been able to, like, I've just never had the context to, like, bring it up. But, um, yeah, it's always, like, an interesting side. Um, and that leads me to, as well, what is one of the scariest stories that you've covered? Ooh. Oh, wow. That's that's hard. Um, are we talking about creepypastas or, like classic true crime disappearances because i separate um, my account we, into two categories there's fiction yeah. and there's nonfiction. right and i want to get into that too um maybe let's start with the the creepy pasta ones which and can you explain what that is for anyone listening who doesn't know oh yeah yeah so a creepy pasta okay. i mean i hope i don't botch like the the history around them but, but yeah. creepy pastas comes from a forum i believe back in the day like early days on the internet, like early to mid two thousands where people would just write fictional, scary stories. So the term, like the nomenclature of that has sort of like rebranded into just being synonymous with a fictional spooky story. Okay. Um, so the way that I approach it on my account is I write all of those stories myself. Wow. Okay. So, um, okay. Thank you. Cause I, I was only somewhat aware of creepy pasta cause at my work, <laughs> Sometimes I oversee this one like spooky true crime strategy that they do. 
Um, it's a pretty big like true crime brand, and they always reference like creepy pasta. Oh. And one time in a meeting, I just had to be like, "What are we talking? Like, <laughs> wait, what?" I kept pretending like I knew what that was, and then I was like, "What do we mean when we say creepy pasta?" So, um, okay, yeah. So, what is the scariest creepy pasta story you think? Oh, this is um. So the one that I feel the most proud of maybe was the yeah. story of the the Bryson Mall woman. Okay. So I don't I don't know if you've seen saw, that one. Yeah, I did. Can you? Ex- yeah. I, I don't even know if there's much story to it. I guess um, the, that one is more so about like a picture that I was able to like create. I like was able yeah. to Photoshop a picture. So I was and I'm always like using the picture as my base to jump off into a story. Right. I'm like, what can I okay. craft around this? So yeah. I placed it in this. Um, I don't even know if Bry- uh, Bison or Bryson's a real town. I might have made it okay. up. Um, but I placed it in a mall where a security guard seemed to see a woman who was inside the mall while he mm-hmm. was on the outside, like having a cigarette or something. And he yeah. snapped a picture of her for proof, but then they never found her. That's the perfect ending okay. to all of them is that they were never mm-hmm. found. Yes. And then, so that leads me to the, I, this is the story I got fixated on when I was in your profile, the lone rock. Is that, that's like real or was that also creepy pasta? So Lone Rock is a real place. Lone Rock okay. is, um, it's in Southern Utah. I've been there and that picture okay. is actually from Lone Rock. So this is what I was going to tell you okay. before, what you, why you're going to gag. Also, oh can I cuss okay. on this podcast or should I keep it clean? No, you you can, you can cuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was, I was, before we got on, I was like, Coco, you're going to fucking gag at this story yeah. of that picture. Cause the, the video did like pretty well. It did like over mm-hmm. a million um and ever and what i did was i was like going through my camera roll like old old pictures and i was like what can i use to like make a new story and i found this picture of my sister she would die because oh, <laughs> we took a camping trip to lone rock and i took that picture and i i photoshopped i like manipulated the face a bit to like really like get it scarier you widen the eyes you elongate the okay. face you can make her smile like i did a lot of, i do a lot of things to like oh my god get it to what like i think looks too. creepy <laughs> that's, that's like, that's like i i have i have sponsored by i have yeah, all, right. all my tips and tricks to like get the pictures looking the way i want them okay. to but i like sent it to her and i was like i'm gonna use this for a creepypasta because i've done that for a bunch of like friends and stuff and she was like okay whatever and we had no idea it was gonna do well and then i made a follow-up to it <laughs> yeah no i was like i saw that and i was like did they catch the lady like i'm obviously not good at navigating which ones are fiction and not um that's that's intentional by the way i'm i keep it uh quite hidden to like make sure the line is blurred yeah your account and like the way but i could see you eventually going into this is like the kokomoko spin you know obviously just like rattling off ideas um i could see you doing this but i've always thought that someone is gonna do like a almost like a Blair Witch style and people have, but like a Blair Witch style mm. TikTok, but like the story is following them like over the course of a few days or a few weeks on their account where they're posting like, okay, update, like I got here. Like I'm, I don't know, just like I could, and it's interesting to know that that photo came from like a camping photo. Um, and I was dying now that I know that because you were like, oh, she put the, the thing on self timer. I'm like, okay, shout out like, oh, you know, someone out on the loose like just wreaking havoc also knowing how to like i think of these lore figures like you know sasquatch like knowing how to use self-timer on an iphone yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like a funny <laughs> thought 
Um, I love that idea, though. The idea of doing like a Chronicle series on TikTok. Yeah. There is an account that I think inadvertently kind of did that. I don't know if it would be well known um, for your audience or your circle, but we still don't know if it's real or fake. Right. Was it like a year ago? Was it the guy on the staircase or? Oh, maybe. I don't, it was, it was, um, I'm not, I'm not sure how they identify, but it was, I think it was a trans woman, but the setting was like very bizarre because it was in like a dilapidated, like, yeah, yeah. And they dance in every video. And they dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are, like, and they, a few, like, bizarre things in the background where, like, you can hear yes. someone crying in one of the videos. Like, that went on for a while to the point where I'm like, I don't know if this is what's going on here, if this is real, or if this is, like, story. Right. I feel like that one was unintentional, and, like, it just blew up. And I remember that because the people were looking up the person and, like, figuring out, like, they had kids and, like, where they worked. And... I think when I last thought that they had kind of resolved it or the person honestly just went like missing, like I just don't, and not missing. They just, I haven't seen them on the internet since that. Not me saying missing and like totally like starting a room. I had a pad and paper. I was like, <laughs> go on. I saw your eyes light up and I was like, wait. I'm like um, missing, you say? Go see, on, Coco. Me, <laughs> I need to like better specify i know right we're like news nation right now just like covering all the news but um i (laughs) meant that they just either the algorithm stopped pushing them or they just went mia because like it was like one day they were just gone but from what i thought i think they went live once or something and i'm just using the pronouns they because i wasn't i mean i wasn't sure i i i'm assuming i wasn't sure either transgender yeah so i'm just using neutral um in case that's confusing anyone but i think they were like a construction worker as well or something and that's why they had access to this house that if you guys had ever seen the videos it was like on it was like an unfinished house that it looks like maybe they were like squatting in kind of like there was like a mattress on the floor they also had a dog with them there was always a dog scene in a lot of the videos which made me yeah definitely felt like this is a squatter this is someone who's staying there yeah yeah um okay now i want to get more into like true crime is there well i have a few questions one of them, is there ever it. a case yeah. that's like, um, so I think you cover, when you do true crime, you cover it really well. Um, and you. there's some people like, I think of this one Tara reader that got in trouble during the Idaho case because they basically, and I collect tarot decks. Like I, they read these tarot cards and said that there was a professor in Idaho that was having a lesbian affair and it, story, she hired yeah. a hitman. And I'm like, there is no tarot card, by the way, that like you pull it in. It's like lesbian affair just hired a hitman. Like that's just not yeah. a thing. <laughs> so I feel like there's some people that when they cover true crime, it's like, I think mm-hmm. they lose sight of the victim. Um, how do you navigate when you're reporting on true crime in the true crime community and do you have like a rule of thumb for what you feel like is ethical and what you'll stay away from? Um, well for me, I can't speak for every true crime creator, but for Mm -hmm. me personally, I do have some guidelines that I adhere to. I don't cover cases anymore, um, with minors, especially on TikTok um, or YouTube. Uh, we've occasionally talked about them on the podcast, but if you'll notice, when I do cover true crime, I actually don't cover a lot of classic true crime cases. I cover disappearances. 
because mm-hmm. I'm generally more interested in things that I think can go somewhere and I think that can be solved. Although that's not yeah. usually what the audience is looking for. They love to hear like, they love to hear classic cases that have an ending that have some sort of closure to them. Stu and I, when we do Creep Time, the podcast, we're so focused on like unsolved cases specifically. Um, but there's a lot of ways to answer your question about how to approach that ethically. I walk an interesting line with this because I believe that all cases, even if they are classic true crime cases and they're not unsolved, mm-hmm. do deserve to be covered. And those stories deserve to be heard, whether it's for educational purposes or it's for honoring victims. There are just delicate ways that you can handle that. But it's I've talked to some creators in this space because we've had this conversation, right? Like, how do you cover these cases without feeling like you're exploiting families or you're exploiting stories or victims? Uh, because a lot of the time you sensationalize them when you add music or the way that you deliver the story and you're kind of meeting your personality as an entertainer and as a storyteller with something that's very real and can be informative and spread awareness. And truth be told, it's it's kind of been like that for a long time, like on the news, mm-hmm. crew t- like true crime documentaries, yeah. like this format has existed. I think that it just feels abrasive to people on the outside yet they would never pay attention to the story if it wasn't delivered in that way. Yeah. If that makes sense? Like you know, without to... sort of the fan- the fantastical elements that kind of craft um, a sinister story, if it's not right. presented like that and it's just cold, yeah. hard facts, mm-hmm. those stories never get heard. They yeah. ne- those victims' stories are never told. Yeah, that's a... And you make a good point, too, about, like, the unsolved. Like, I feel like... Um, I remember them even saying it during a press briefing during the Idaho four case where they said, um, like people were getting mad at the police department for not arresting someone already. And they were like, um, you know, it's not like an episode where it's solved in an hour. Like it, we need time to figure this out. So I feel like Mm -hmm. there is some like probably pressure from some people in true crime to report on cases that they can like you know, come full circle and like, feel like they're giving people this, um, you know, full circle picture. Whereas like oftentimes the unsolved cases are really unsettling. Cause you're like, like, but they're the ones that like need to be heard. Um, cause they're the ones yeah. that could they're, they're frustrating the for people too. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. difficult. I think for people to like deal with unsolved cases, especially yeah. something like the Idaho case, which I did cover at the time, and mm-hmm. the reason that I thought it was important too is because historically, from looking at a lot of these unsolved cases, I've, I, oh my God, is that a Mickey D soda? From last <laughs> night, lukewarm. Not Sprite from last, from last, last night. night. No. <laughs> that's incredible. I, like, I know, literally just like lipstick stain on it. Yeah, that's my. No, it made me jealous. Um, <laughs> very, very jealous. Uh, But what I would say is um, what I've learned historically with covering a lot of unsolved cases is that the pitfall for a lot of them is when county police get involved. So Mm -hmm. the way that it's usually based on jurisdiction, county police are the first to like tackle it. But a lot of these police departments, specifically in that town of Idaho, they have never seen a case like that. They've Mm -hmm. never dealt with like quadruple homicide. So they're very typically they're very like in over their heads. Um, but it is their jurisdiction. So there's a bit of a barrier between when state gets involved and even when it goes to the national level and the FBI gets involved, usually Mm -hmm. it's just in the hands of County. And that's when like things start to fall away because they're not used to handling crime scenes of that magnitude. Mm -hmm. So things actually do go unsolved permanently. We've Mm -hmm. seen things with like the John Bonet Ramsey case where like evidence at the scene 
was botched. The entire yeah. scene was compromised because they had never dealt with something like that in Boulder. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, yeah, because I remember that case they had, like, the family come, like, or friends or something had come over that morning to figure out what was they going had not, on. They had and... not secured that crime scene at all. Right? We haven't even With... covered that on Creep Time, the podcast, wow. but it's, that's yeah. a deep one. Yeah. It's, um, it's reminiscent to Idaho, which is, like, the, it sounds like the friends had, like, you know, people, it's still, they're figuring out what happened, but at least the, the, uh, they were able to solve it, I think, because of so as much attention as that case got too. Um, obviously they had people like stepping in, but it makes me wonder too, if like the, uh, the guy who did it, I don't want to say his name, but if he knew, like people were saying maybe he knew to cross state lines, like, cause it would sometimes the, the counties don't communicate, but anyways, mm -hmm. that was an interesting, that, that case I've been following and it's just like heartbreaking. Um, and then, okay. So, where do you see the future of true crime? Do you think that, um, and I know you do more of like the creepy pasta as well, so I don't want to box you in mm -hmm. and I'm going to get to a question next about niches and stuff, but no, it's what, totally fair. Yeah. What, what do you see the future of true crime? Do you think podcasting is going to continue to grow? Do you think, um, could you see like TikTokers getting, um, shows or like, you know, being propped up as journalists? What, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know if they would be propped up as journalists, um, but I think that the convention is not new. I think the platform that it's served on mm. has just changed because I think this content has been created and consumed for more than like yeah. 40, 50 years at this point on like late night television and Dateline and like, like the convent, we're not reinventing the wheel. It's more yeah. so just now there are younger personalities who are on your phone, who are delivering the stories to you. So I don't think the genre will go away. I have mm -hmm. my own like theories about why there's such a following to it. Um, I do think to your point that the discourse and the, um, the way that cases are tackled and handled will probably change. Like there will be more, um, more of like a, a social awakening or social like, consciousness around how delicately, uh, yeah. we tackle cases like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it could be also like what we're seeing with, um, mass shooters where they are not saying the name anymore because it seems like a lot of it is motivated by attention and like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not fixating on the people that perpetrate the crimes as much. Um, I could see it going in that direction as well. What are your theories on why you think that people are like so fascinated by it and consume um, it? Well, there's a few different like psychology theories behind it. I mean, most of the audience, I think we talked about this uh, last time, on your, the, the audience is, majority women. I think when yeah. I started on TikTok, 80% of my audience was women, but it has a lot to do with people trying to feel safe, ironically, by watching true crime. And what we've, what psychologists think is true is that it's like a subconscious conditioning mechanism where you're almost protecting yourself. If you can groom your brain to hear sort of the worst possible scenario that you fear, but you can do it in a very controlled setting. So oh. a controlled setting would be like just watching a video of me and you feel safe with your host and you feel comforted by it because you know it starts and it stops, but it makes you feel prepared for what yeah. you believe is the inevitable that it could happen to you one day. So yeah. that's, that's kind of the theory behind it. Yeah. That's interesting. That kind of aligns with like, uh, 
I remember, so when I was at San Diego State, I was studying journalism for like two years and then I didn't get in uh, to the journalism school for the upperclassmen because I couldn't pass this like grammar and spelling test. Um, no. So I went <laughs> no. into marketing. I know. I was like autocorrect. But um, so I remember they were talking to us about why like these cases are what people are fascinated by and like. I myself like will consume it and then I have to like pull back and be like, okay, calm down. Like it's freaking me out. But, um, that like evolutionarily, uh, humans had to figure out why, like you had to figure out why someone like, you know, back when we were cavemen, why someone in your tribe, like didn't come back that night. Like you had to like figure out what did they go, like, where did they go wrong? And you retrace their steps mm -hmm. and you, you are doing all these risk assessments so you can learn yourself and that like we've obviously just held on to that and it's still a thing so like it there's yeah. just this like innate need to figure out the steps of what happened and what went wrong to like try and figure out how to avoid it um so that's interesting. i don't think i've ever heard that before that's really that's fascinating yeah yeah it's yeah. really interesting i remember i remember learning about that and just like the so it's like the true crime genre has been around since like, you know, the beginning of time. It's just people figuring out yeah. why did someone do this? How do I avoid that? And, but I think we've, they're also learning now too. Like, you know, people can't have, like, if you're going to be the victim, it's like it, you did nothing wrong. It's usually just like the perpetrator was going to find someone no matter what. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah. Um, now I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get more into you cause you, are you also work in marketing and i want to ask you like i do what yeah so was there and there's an interesting thing that happens that both of us are like this and i think more people can relate to it than we realize where you have your nine to five and then your TikTok takes off and it feels like this hannah montana effect where it's like you have one hat that is on social media and then you have like your job but was there a video for you that like changed everything that you were like, okay, I can't keep this TikTok a secret. Like people are going to start to know that I'm on TikTok. I don't think I even realized that. I don't think I ever came to that mm -hmm. conclusion. It was when people started recognizing me through work and I was like, yeah. oh no, this is like extending beyond, beyond the niche now. And I was getting emails from like vendors and I was getting, I was like getting a lot of outrage from people who were like, is this you? Like I, I, she wouldn't mind me saying this, but my boss called me at one in the morning one time and she was like, oh my God, she was like, is this you? Because I think somebody had, um, someone had like re, they like repurposed a TikTok of mine onto like an Instagram account. It was like something like millennials favorites or something. I forgot what it was called. And I guess she looks at her story every night and she was like, oh my God, she was like, that took my breath away. Like I couldn't believe what I was seeing, what I was hearing. And she was like, you're going to be famous. She was like, this girl has 500,000 followers. And I was like, that's so crazy. And she went to my account and saw a million. And she was like, what? Oh, <laughs> you know. my gosh. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like I decided. I think it was decided for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I the feel secret like that... was out. Right. And did, um, has your, like, nine to five work have they been supportive of your tiktok i know sometimes people will blow up and then they'll get like fired or things like that um oh god yeah what has your experience been 
Um, I think I've been pretty, well, from the get-go, I was always really brand safe on TikTok because I always had the mindset of, you know, I want this to become commercially successful for me. And I I have the marketing knowledge to know how brands think and how they operate. Uh, So I knew sticking within like that guideline of brand safety, like you won't catch me doing anything too wild on TikTok. That helped me out a lot because it's not a crime to necessarily have a podcast or have um, a side hustle or whatever you're, whatever you're calling it. But actually sticking with marketing, I think has helped inform a lot of my TikTok strategy and inform how Mm. I approach brands, how I, you know, deal with brands like sourcing management. It's really the two things kind of speak to each other in my mind and it, it continues to inform me, which is why I like to stay close to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I, I feel the same way with me. And and it, mm-hmm. what you were saying about being brand safe, I actually, me and my friend talk about this all the time, but we feel like people that become famous, and you never really plan it, like it really does just, your account blows up or, you know, whatever people's definitions are of fame. But um, we feel like people that become in the public eye after the age of like 25, usually have like a lot of longevity because like their brain has developed like their um usually their personality is somewhat solidified or they know who they are whereas i feel like the i could not imagine having a viral tiktok when i people are like at 13 i'm like at 23 like i just didn't know who i was like i was i i wouldn't have had anything to like offer an audience so like I don't know. I just always think it's, I feel like when people are a little bit at least more figured out and they're a little bit older, um, and not still like in college or high school. And I say Mm -hmm. older loosely, I just mean like not in college anymore. Yeah. I feel like they're better at managing the, their brand image or like at least just knowing the long-term effects of the videos that they're creating versus like posting, you know, whatever, which is like relatable and viral in the moment. But I often wonder, I'm like, I wonder if some of these videos ever come back to bite people um, in the long run. I know. I I was talking to my friend Scott about this because we were like, you know, we were kind of like in the guinea pig age of the internet and like the MySpace era. I'm like, but nobody ever warned us that like the internet is forever. So I'm really grateful. Looking back on it, I'm grateful that like I never had any iota of fame or anything when I was like teenager or even in college, because like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I would have, it would have been a different experience for me and I wouldn't have felt as comfortable as, as I did then, you know what I mean? To do things with my friends and to, to be around and not have to think about certain things or think about like, could this video end up online? Mm -hmm. I have a different relationship now to like how I think about doing things, how I think about posting things and places that I go. Um, Mm -hmm that's what's changed for me. So I'm grateful that I had those experiences and didn't have to navigate through online discourse at the age of like 13, 14, because I wasn't ready for it. Right. Like it, it's hard to sometimes read discourse about yourself. Uh, like for me as a 27 year old, and I can't even imagine like how I would handle it at 17. So um, yeah, I always feel like empathy towards younger creators online. Um, now another, this is like the, really the question I was really excited to ask you. So do you ever feel pressured to stay in a niche or like, how do you navigate? Okay. This, this was working now it's not. And I need to introduce something new to my audience without losing them. 
Um, that's such a tough question, Coco. That's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely, I definitely do feel pressure for sure. Um, but it's it's a bizarre dichotomy because I feel pressure on both ends to both stay with what the audience loves, but also change yeah. for what I know brands like. Like I can't even tell you how many like conversations we've had um, with different brands, and it's how frustrating it is to hear like a brand that can you know be in a meeting with you and they're evaluating your account and they're like you know we kind of like it. We just don't know if like spooky is going to land really well for like what we're doing. Even if you pitch mm -hmm. them some creative idea, you're like, I can bake yeah. you into like a fictional story. Like we can get really yeah. creative and have fun with it. And then they'll go off and they'll, they'll opt with somebody who has like 10,000 followers and gets 50 views per video and they'll pay them the same mm -hmm. thing they were offering me. So yeah. on that side, I feel pressure constantly. I'm like, God, what, what if I just did beauty or like I did skincare or cooking, like all the other things that I, I love and I'm passionate about. Um, but at the same time, there is like a weird expectation that I feel with the audience that when I post things, you can even see it when you look in the comments where they're like, stick to scary. Like mm -hmm. they subscribe yeah. to me for one specific thing and I yeah. exist to them in like one plane, which is why you can tell me what you think about this. Mm -hmm. I think comedy TikTok creators have such an like an edge over everybody because it's not necessarily nobody really makes comedy their specialty on TikTok, if you yeah. know what I mean. It's like a jumping point for so many different things because it's personality yeah. driven. Yeah, I mean you can apply comedy to anything. Like you if you're giving a Starbucks review or if you're talking about a lawnmower, like you just yeah. put POV in front of it. Like literally you could be like yes. POV <laughs> like filming an infomercial for a lawnmower like you have a hit. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah. And in terms of like niching, so I actually had an interesting experience with it. And I personally think changing a niche on TikTok takes like months and then it's just one day it works. But like I, so before I really got into what blew me up this, these past, like it was in fall. Um, I was, doing tarot like i love like i people think it's yeah. embarrassing i'm like i loved it like that was my thing like i literally pulled tarot me and my friends do it me and my boyfriend do it just to see how our week's gonna go like it was just my thing and i but then i got so like pigeonholed and i actually resented filming videos every day because i was like this is not what mm -hmm. i want to do anymore <laughs> like this is not bringing me joy anymore I've, and, I've been there i have been there yeah. i promise you <laughs> It's so almost real feeling right. Like almost feeling this resentment towards the thing that blew me up, even though I was so yeah. grateful for the fans that found me during that time and enjoyed that content. I was just like, there's only so many ways that I can talk about this topic. And like, I have run out of them and, um, I ended up telling my audience actually, I mean, the video only got like 20,000 views, but I was like, Hey guys, like, I'm just letting you know. I'm going to take a break from tarot. I don't know how I'm going to come back to the internet, but I think that you'll see me again. And I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm going to figure it out. And I, I love that exit speech. I like that a lot. I know. Right. Like <laughs> as if anyone was tuning in, um, it was like when like, <laughs> I love Oprah, that though. like left her Oprah show. Yeah. And it, um, so I made that video. I took like a month break. I mean, I was posting every now and then only when I felt like inspired. And I always said, like, if I didn't enjoy filming it, my audience will enjoy watching it. So, um, mm -hmm. and then a couple months later, like I, my first ever video talking about trends just blew up and it felt like my life changed from that. And I remember seeing a few comments, like right when the video started blowing up, they were like, 
I knew you said you'd come back in a new way. Like, like we're happy to have you. So for me, it was just like, honestly telling them like, I need a break. And I, I'm pretty sure I probably lost followers, but I felt like I had to take a step back to take like five steps forward. But even mm-hmm. just outside of the followers though, I think it's a little scary because sometimes I do think the algorithm like puts you on timeout as I call it. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I say it's good to have a home base outside of an algorithm. Like you have your podcast and, um, a place that your fans can gather if we wake up tomorrow and like TikTok's gone and YouTube's gone, like having somewhere else that your fans can find you. Agreed. It also keeps all of the platforms competitive against each other too. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. not one has sole ownership over your niche or, or even you as a personality. Yeah. It just keeps them all sort of fighting to keep you on there, creating content on there. I'm going to ask one last question that I'm going to ask every guest, but before I get into that, is there anything else that you didn't ask you about? Oh, I don't know. Um, let me think. Let me think. Did I tell you I was writing a book? I want to start reading like influencer creator books and I ordered Bretman rocks. So I need more people's books to read after this one. Oh, I didn't even think about making it a book about like my strategy, but I guess I could, I could write one on that. No, I just mean like, I just mean creators who have written books, regardless of oh, gotcha, gotcha. the topic. Yeah. yeah what is yours yeah. going to be about? So the loose title, we have like a rough manuscript um, wow. in progress, but the loose title is The Scariest Stories I Know, which right now is a collection of five short stories, um, all fiction from me. So it's kind of taking like the creepypasta, you know, yeah. trope that has really worked well on the platform and expanding that there's one that's actually inspired by the lone rock woman i forgot what i titled it oh my god but i i was like i have to expand on like the lore of that story and give it to him yeah so after so yeah i guess once the manuscript is finished the next stage is that we we go um back to my agents and then we start pitching it to different literary publishers lit agents and we'll we'll see what happens (laughs) yeah because you obviously have a knack for these stories have you ever thought of going into like screenwriting so there's a few things oh, I can't, I can't okay, chat about, okay. but okay, yes, well, yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you've considered, you've pondered. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So this is my question that I want to ask everyone when we end, which is yeah. what is something that you think is going to be trendy in a year from now? It can be clothing makeup. It can be social media. And then mm. what is one thing that has been trendy that you think is not going to age well, that you think will be out? <laughs> oh, this is such a good question. Um, I'm going to answer the latter part of the question first. So I'll start, I'll start okay. on the low note and end on the high note. So I do think user-generated content, this experience of like filming from your bedroom kind of vibe has worked really well because we feel closer to creators than we've ever felt before. Yeah. I think I've always had a feeling that it will age poorly because I think naturally, like, these influencers aren't really going to go away. They're just going to continue to evolve throughout Hollywood and TV and film. And, like, mm-hmm. their celebrity or their status will just elevate over time. Yeah. But it will definitely, like, come back to, like, <laughs> videos of them on the toilet in, like, yes. 10 years when they're in their 30s. <laughs> yes. It's just because everyone's really, we're really young on the platform. So it's tricky now to be mindful about, like, what these numbers actually mean. Like, I was looking at a video yeah. of mine and, like... I've lost sight of what 50,000 or 100,000 people even means. I don't mm-hmm. know what that means. I can't visualize it. But yeah. that could mean a lot in like 10 years from now. But to answer the latter or the other part of the question, what's something I think will be trendy? Um, 
I guess it ties into the other the other answer is that I think we'll see more creators who will actually be jumping off the platform or their platform will become a hybrid with their TV and film careers. I think that mm-hmm. we'll start seeing more of these creators in media in like very impactful ways where they yeah. exist as like the new generation of celebrity. Yeah. I really, really do believe that's what will happen. Yeah. I agree. I, I wish I had the name on the top of my head, um, but there is a creator who he's pretty young and he makes YouTube videos kind of like Blair Witch style, but he creates these short stories on YouTube in video format Ooh. and he just signed a deal to A24, like a multi-million dollar deal to make movies for them. And he that started is so on YouTube. sick. Yeah. So I, I, I'm right there with you. I think we're going to look back and be like, that's so crazy that you know, people used to be like become famous out of thin air, which was more so just like people behind the scenes picking whatever handshakes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like now it's going to be like, you know, now it's obviously like people are on social media and then the audience, it's more like democratic, I think of who gets chosen. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's like level the playing field. We're like, you don't necessarily have to come from rich parents or well-connected parents or like have, you know, back deal handshakes with people. Yeah. Now it's truly on a merit system of like the talent that you bring to camera, you know, yeah, people can't, totally. de- they can't deny it. Cause like everyone has, has access to it. It's really shifted the way that like the casting directors are now the public, like yeah, though the public really has is. become the decision maker on who is interesting and who's not. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is though still some like, like wizard of Oz behind the scenes now, but they're yeah. now at social platforms as well because of like the heating button at TikTok and I don't know if you heard about that but yeah that's a whole I'm not to- I think but... I have an idea of what that is but I'll ask you off the record what that is <laughs> well it's like on record someone reported on it oh is it oh, okay. like um yeah a feature a button a, a basically I don't know if it was a button or something but at TikTok if an employee sees you and likes your videos they can just decide that you're gonna like blow up overnight and they just pump your videos out I did hear about and... this yeah and they also have a cool off button so they could like be like, mm, no. And then they just like cooled off. But then they were getting in trouble because they were heating up themselves. <laughs> so like oh, they were heating so, up themselves and their friends. <laughs> I know, right? I'm no. like TikTok employees at LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I'm like, hey, girl. No. But yeah, no, this was awesome talking. Like, thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye.